Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, Monday, May 9th. J.C. Sherbert here with you. Thanks for joining me today. Good to be with all of you folks here on a Monday morning. Uh, heading off of a, a weekend, <laughs> I guess, Mother's Day weekend. Thanks to all the mothers out there. I want to give a special shout-out to my mother and grandmother. I uh, didn't get a chance to do that on the Saturday Super Kate episode, but uh, certainly uh, would not have any of the success uh, that I've had in life, what I've had. Uh, had it not been for those two, and uh, certainly, you know, my mom <clears throat> ended up being a single mother of four boys. That's not easy. She got remarried, uh, ended up having seven because her uh, husband had three boys. So she was uh, kind of the only girl <laughs> around. And then, of course, my grandmother, my dad's uh, mother is still kicking, right, uh, 90 years old or so, uh, and uh, certainly blessed that she's still around. I was very close to her when I was a child. So anyway, wanted to get that out of the way and all that. Of course, thanks to Heritage Digital for sponsoring the news and notes segment of this podcast. Uh, certainly uh, got a lot to get to. Gamecocks baseball team over the weekend. We're going to dig into this a little bit uh, as far as Gamecock baseball goes, the future, the present, the recent past uh, here pretty soon <clears throat> on this podcast. But uh Kind of a weird series. We talked about it a little bit Saturday, game one, 16 to four, Texas AM. Then Saturday, um, you know, I was at a Kentucky Derby party, which are fun, by the way. Uh, but I was keeping up with the game on my cell phone, nine nothing. Uh, kind of got away from it, you know, because they it was streaming on my phone and I was out of a, an establishment and uh, everybody was getting ready for the Derby. And uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> Next thing you know, I turn it back on. It's 10-8 Gamecocks, and A&M took the lead. So I turned it back off because, you know, baseball is sort of a superstitious game. And I was like, well, maybe my presence has something to do with it. We've all been there. You folks have all been there. And so uh, <clears throat> that happened. Come to find out, Gamecocks came back, took the lead, and then lost it on a walk-off 13-12, uh, an extremely disappointing loss. 
Uh, I think John Whittle called it the most disappointing loss of the Mark Kingston era. You know, bowling a lead like that, you get the run support and your pitching just falls apart. Uh, Gamecocks rebounded, though, on Sunday, one nine to four, five home runs, including a grand slam from Colin Burgess. Doesn't look like Colin Burgess wants the season to end or uh, Gamecock baseball to end this season. Uh, he's starting to play pretty well, and the Gamecocks uh, bats have come alive recently, uh, which is needed if they're going to have a chance to go on a run and make the NCAA tournament. They're still alive, uh, but that that blowing that lead at AM is critical because uh, you take two of three there you sort of feel good about your position. The Gamecocks are no guarantee to even make the SEC tournament. The top 12 make it. So, you know, Kentucky comes in this weekend for the final home series of the year. They took two of three from Tennessee. So the Wildcats are playing pretty well. Uh, You know, Tennessee's been the best team in the country most of the season. So for UK to jump up and bite them like that, that means something's going well in Lexington. Uh, USC Upstate in for a midweek game. Uh, I'll say this, uh, that's my alma mater. (laughs) Uh, I don't necessarily pull for them in sports. I do know I got something from the Alumni Association. They're planning on bringing a group of Spartans down uh, to Founders Park to cheer on uh, USC Upstate. Uh, I still call them the Rifles because I was uh, there when it was USC Spartanburg before they did the big name change and changed the name to the most uh, generic possible (laughs) <laughs> mascot they could uh, although the rifles were pretty uh pretty interesting name with historical ties obviously daniel morgan and all that spartanburg but they wanted a more generic name so whatever that's fine i don't want to get into that right now uh but uh <clears throat> so this is it and uh, we got to have a discussion about this um this baseball program right and uh what direction uh they need to go if any uh following uh, the completion of this season, depending on how it uh, turns out. I- I'll say this just briefly before we get into it. Uh, having to win seven of eight at the end of the regular season to just be in the conversation for the NCAA tournament is obviously not the standard that's been set around here. Uh, and I talk about that a lot. You know, you got to meet your standards. And every program around here has standards, uh, baseline standards. Uh, and then you have – you know, achievable goals. So, you know, you're not going to hit your achievable goals uh, every single season, but you do have a baseline standard. Football, uh, for example, you know, four and eight and two and eight under Will Muschamp at the end was not the baseline, uh, living up to the baseline standard. You know, before that, uh, he was, you know, the first three years, he was. I know people don't like to hear about his first three years because that sort of became a talking point as the team started to struggle and things started to unravel. Oh, but the truth is, you know, Will Muschamp, you know, it was took over three and nine program, went six and six, six and seven, uh, but got back to a bowl first year, just like Beamer did. Um, he didn't win it, but got back and then uh, won nine and then won seven with a team that was schizophrenic on offense. Uh, when they were on, they were on. When they were off, boy, they were off. And then uh, the defense got depleted or whatever. And then four and eight happened. And we know the rest. But the baseline standards were not being met. You know, I don't know in basketball, in men's, that the baseline standards were not being met from the standpoint of record uh, every year. Uh, I think lack of postseason was a big thing for Frank, especially not capitalizing on the Final Four. But I, I think that was just a little bit different situation. 
Um, I think that that was one of those things that had probably run its course. And uh, certainly happy for Frank Martin landing at UMass. I think he's going to do good things there. And then you got Lamont Paris at South Carolina, and we'll see where he can take the program moving forward. So those are all interesting talking points and things we got to discuss here in the analysis segment uh, coming up. Also, we do have football news. And for those of you that were worried about it, uh, I'm sure that, uh, you know, you're, you're happy about this. Uh, the Gamecocks got a public commitment. <laughs> uh, first one of 2023. They have two more that are silenced. <clears throat> but uh, Zabari Sandy, uh, high three-star safety from St. John's College in Washington, D.C. Uh, picked the Gamecocks over Ole Miss, Tennessee, West Virginia, Maryland. Uh, and, and, and this is big for a couple of reasons. I wrote about this on the site today. You can read it at thebigspur.com. You don't even have to be a member to read this. This is kind of part of uh, – <clears throat> there's two things that, that I really like about this. Uh, first and foremost, it, it's a kid from the DMV. And, you know, you talk to Taylor Edwards. We had him on the podcast. You can go back and listen to that interview. You know, you talk to anybody around South Carolina right now, and they're excited uh, about the fact that, you know, they've expanded the recruiting base. Uh, to really a much larger net than I've ever seen uh, at South Carolina, maybe since the 1980s, uh, when you had a bunch of scholarships and you just go get guys or whatever. Uh, in the modern era of recruiting, I've, I've, I've not seen the Gamecocks more active in different places. I mean, it's Miami to Maine, all the way out to Texas. They hit Mississippi. Uh, you know, you got two kids from Mississippi on, you know, coming in. That's big because uh, a lot of players in Mississippi don't qualify, and so you end up – if you can get guys out of high school or get guys from the portal, that's big. Stone Blanton and Corey Rucker both coming in from that state. Uh, Alabama, you know, they're active over there. They they did have Colby Fields from Louisiana for a while. He went back back home to LSU like a lot of Louisiana kids did this past offseason. But, but, you know, to the West, you know, I, I think these guys are pretty much – you know, doing the same thing in Georgia, the previous staff did, and then uh, up and down the East Coast. That, that's big. And then the other part of it, and again, we'll dive into this too in the analysis segment, uh, is that this is part of kind of an overhaul of the defensive backfield. You know, Carolina brought in eight defensive backs, counting Portal and uh, DQ Smith, who's going to uh, enroll in August uh, in this last class. The numbers just weren't there, especially at safety. Uh, and then you've got some guys on the roster this year. Cam Smith, uh, he could be gone after this season. RJ Roderick is gone after this season. Devontae Reed has one more year. You know, so you got to get that right. Uh, not necessarily by this season. I mean, there needs to be depth, uh, obviously, at safety. But as we move forward, you know, it's going to be beneficial to have those that many options and, and those types of numbers in the secondary. And Zabari Sandy's going to be part of it. And they're not done uh, in the secondary at all you know, coming up. So uh, that's a little bit of news there. Trevon Ball, a three-star offensive lineman from Atlanta, who I really like. It sort of reminds me a bit of, gosh, Laurel Johnson. Remember Laurel Johnson used to play for Carolina? Uh, a little bit of him, you know, just a big athletic interior guy out of Pace Academy in Atlanta, uh, Gamecocks, Arkansas, a couple other schools are in the mix for him. And uh, somebody on the message board today pointed out, anybody Arkansas wants on the offensive line is fine with me. And I tend to agree. I mean, the godfather of offensive line recruiting is their head coach. So uh, Arkansas can 
uh, of all the positions, uh, you know, because you follow certain schools and you look and you go, well, and, and I think Carolina's kind of like that. I think Torian Gray, he goes and offers a guy, you, you need to give him a second look. Um, it was like that at Michigan State with Mark D'Antonio. I remember uh, Urban Meyer when he was at uh, Ohio State, and I hate to keep quoting Urban. Uh, I know he's kind of a, I don't know, a pariah a little bit. I, I'm not sure what you call him these days. Uh, I know he's going back to work for Fox News, and people are talking about him being the next coach at Texas now, which I just don't I don't, I don't know. But uh, he, uh, he did say – he says a lot of interesting things, and he, he did say one time – on the record that if uh, – and I think this came from Zach Smith on his podcast that Mark D'Antonio offers somebody you need to go watch the film again immediately. And uh, so there's certain schools at certain positions, Georgia at running back, for example, uh, that you'd go and do that with. And I think Arkansas on the O-line, that's a safe bet, you know. And, and, you know, nobody really recruits based on what other schools are doing. But, you know, if you're trying to – you know, and Ball's a three-star guy. If you're trying to say, well, you know, not all three stars are created equal, you know, a kid with an Arkansas offer certainly uh, is a player that uh, you won't – like I said, I like his big, like the big-bodied kid, athletic, uh, one of those guys out of Georgia, you just don't ever know. So that's, uh, that's the news. Uh, congratulations, by the way, to all the graduates, University of South Carolina graduation this past weekend. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, watching some of those athletes graduate and, you know, just seeing the stuff on social media from the students. I, I really, really, uh, really like it. Really like it. Uh, really makes my my heart full to see people embarking on the next stage of their lives. I remember when I graduated, it was a big deal. Uh, certainly, uh, <laughs> I graduated and then I got married. Uh, within the next year, started started my career. I mean, there's a lot going on at that time with me, but uh, it is a nice time to graduate. I remember my aunt, uh, late aunt at the time, uh, paid uh, for me and what uh, was my future wife at the time. She's now my ex. Uh, and my mom and my brothers took go to Disney for a few days. Uh, I love Disney World, so that was uh, – that was a, a nice trip, certainly, back when I graduated. So congrats to all the graduates. If you have a son or daughter that graduated, congratulations to you. If you are a graduate, congratulations to you. We have a big audience for the podcast That, uh, as far as different age ranges and things like that go. Uh, so congrats to you. So that's a little bit of news uh, as well. All right, moving into the analysis segment. And as always, it's brought to you by City Searfoss Realtor. Uh, Caldwell Banker Kane from my hometown of Spartanburg. Cindy's been in the upstate over 35 years and would love to help you with your real estate needs. You can contact her 864-414-5271 or email ccerfoss, C-S-E-A-R-F-O-S-S at cbkane, C-B-C-A-I-N-E dot com. Uh, Greenwood, Spartanburg, Greenville, Anderson, Oconee, Cherokee, Union, wherever you are in the upstate, Cindy can, chances are, help you out with this crazy real estate market. Saw Cindy was celebrating Mother's Day this past weekend, and uh, certainly congrats to her uh, and to her husband, who's a diehard Gamecock fan, who uh, is a, uh, a great guy uh, as well. I've really enjoyed getting to know him uh, and Cindy. Uh, and certainly, uh, if you need a realtor uh, in the upstate, that is a uh, that is who you need to call. 864-414-5271. Tell her JC sent you. So baseball. All right. So 
here's what you got to look at. Like I said, there's a baseline standard for every program at the University of South Carolina and every school, actually. And when that standard's not being met, you have to make a change. So, so here's the question that you have to look at uh, and answer. And, and look, I, I don't know what Ray Tanner and Chance Miller and the new president coming in and <clears throat> all these people are thinking. Uh, I know the interim president's a big baseball fan. Uh, Paris Pestides. Uh, my understanding is the new president, Michael M. Armides, I guess, uh, is he's a big baseball guy. Uh, they were both here uh, during the national championships. And uh, that's obviously the whole Ray Tanner era in baseball set a standard and it has not been the same since. It sort of started uh, that second year under Holbrook, 2014. Gamecocks were again hosting a regional, zipping right along. In comes Maryland, and the Gamecocks lost. I think it's the first time they lost a maybe a home playoff game uh, at Founders Park uh, back in 2014. And so that started it. The next year, no tournament. The next year, a surprising trip to the Supers uh, where they got to host, and they got blanked by Oklahoma State. Uh, the next year, no tournament again, and Holbrook's out. So then you bring in Mark Kingston after shooting for Kevin O'Sullivan, uh, and then he, Tanner landed on Kingston, right? So he's supposed to come in, revitalize the offense. Uh, the Gamecocks are hitting it a little better now this year for this year's team. Was, um, offense has kind of been a struggle. I mean, last year's team, especially when they got in position. Um Kingston's era, uh, that first year, uh, transition year, understood that, uh, you know, it was going to be a transition, and then that happens. And um, they got up off the mat. I think they were 20 and 17. I uh, lost a Presbyterian, kind of like they did this year, and then got on a run late, made the tournament, went to East Carolina, won that regional, and uh, salvaged a game out at Arkansas, which played for the national title, and they were a win away from Omaha which is right back where the program was Holbrook's first year in 2013 when they lost to North Carolina and what was the longest super regional I think of ever. I think Whittle was in Chapel Hill for a week because <laughs> things kept getting delayed or whatever. And so, you know, good, good start, right? Well, the next year the bottom falls out. And, um, you know, there were 11 draft picks, I think was the number on that first uh, Mark Kingston team back in, I believe, 2016. Was that it? 2016? Uh, that was his first year. So 2017 was historically bad, right? And it was uh, – no, I'm sorry. Kingston's first year was 2017. And then 2018 was historically bad. Um, it rolled – well, am I right in that? I don't know. Uh, let, let me let me just look this up or write this down. I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm screwing up the years here, guys. That's never good, right? Um, so this is 2022. 2021 was a regional. 2020 was canceled. 2019 was the historically bad year. 2018 was the supers. Okay, uh, that was that was my bad. Okay. <laughs> Uh, got the dates mixed up there. All runs together. So 2018 was the Supers. Uh, 
2019, very, very bad year. 2020, uh, they were 12 and four. And, and that was when the season got canceled. But look, uh, you know, that's, uh, you got to look at that because everything counts. And COVID didn't really have much to do with the play on the field through 16 games. They did lose to Clemson and they lost at home to Northwestern in a series and, you know, beat some teams they should have beaten. So 12 and four was okay, but uh, I don't know that you could have predicted. I mean, baseball is a funny game, so you got to be careful saying this team didn't have a chance or this team did. Um, obviously, a lot of the players that were uh, on the next year's team, which made a regional in a very – hosted in a very tough year in the SEC. I mean, that was uh, – there's no shame in finishing seventh in the league that year uh, or last year. And the Gamecocks just, uh, you know, didn't – couldn't hit it uh, at the end. Uh, so then you go into 2021, and, and I said, like I said, they, they were very respect respectable uh, in 2021. And, uh, you know, the bats just went silent, and it was a blown opportunity. And you can't say that that season lived up to standard. Because, I mean, th- this program, you know, you, you kind of base things based on postseason – um, you, you had everything right there in front of you, a big crowd at home, and just couldn't hit the ball against the Old Dominion, and they couldn't hit it against Virginia, and you're out. And then you get to watch Virginia play Dallas Baptist on your home field the next week uh, and move on to Omaha. And that would have probably been, uh, you know, a cheap pathway to get back to the College World Series had they been able to hit the ball at all. And South Carolina had the pitching probably to, you know, maybe stay alive a little in Omaha had they been able to hit it. You know, so then 2022, massive amounts of injuries uh, on the mound. Uh, still, you know, like I said, it's coming on uh, their ability to hit the ball, but it's not, uh, it hasn't been as consistent as probably people would have wanted. Uh, and they're struggling to make the SEC tournament 500 record. Uh, looks like no postseason again. So, you know, the COVID year, that's, that's, that's number one. That's the number one question. You know, COVID, the COVID year got canceled. They were 12 and four. I don't think it was a good start to the season by any means. But how much do you count or not that season? I mean, you know, I, if you're trying to look for precedent, you know, the COVID year in football definitely counted. The COVID year in basketball would have counted, but didn't. <laughs> we all know the story there. Uh, you know, and, and I don't think anybody objectively can look at those 16 games and say, oh, they were on their way, you know. And then you got the the Ofer in the regional last year with the in terms of not the Ofer as far as winning, they did win one game, but the lack of bats. And then this year's just been a mess. Um, you know, so, so that's the thing. Does the COVID year, is this really year four? All right. That's number one. Number two, you know, how much stock do you put into the injuries this year, uh, in terms of the wins and losses? In other words, where would this, would this team be living up to standard had they not had the massive amounts of injuries on the mound? And that's number two, you know, number three, do, do, do you believe that Kingston's new assistants, who he brought in uh, before this season, um, are kind of giving him new life. 
uh, are, are these guys, you know, Scott Wingo among, among them is beloved, obviously for good reason, you know, or, or, or do they have, and Whittle's pointed this out. He feels like the staff is like in good shape now. It's kind of Kingston's staff. He's comfortable with these guys. You know, is that a reason? Was this year basically a big reset? Uh, and then the injuries have caused issues and that the future's bright. There aren't a lot of good young players. Um, that's the question. You know, another question that's going to go into this. Uh, you know, and all this is based on, hey, you know, they're probably not going to make the NCAA tournament. If they do, you know, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure Kingston will be back. You know, I, I think that getting this team with all the issues into the NCAA tournament is barely meeting standard. But given the specific circumstances of this year, I, you know, any reasonable person would be like, okay, well, you know, you get another year because uh, that's what three NCAA tournaments and four, if you count that as, you know, you don't, because you, you can't, COVID year is neither a tournament or not. Um, like I said, I wouldn't predict that team was going to make the NCAs, but wouldn't wouldn't count them out either. You know that a lot of the guys came back the next year and certainly made it. So maybe that was just a, an early season slump losing to Northwestern and Clemson. But I, you know, I it is what it is. I mean, those sixteen games probably aren't you know anything to write home about. Um, you know, so that's the thing. I mean, this program's going on ten years with no Omaha. It's another drought. You know, of course, it was 17 last time until Tanner got him back at 02, um, 85 to 02. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I don't think anybody expected this based on, you know, breaking through, winning national championships, playing for a third. Tanner played for four uh, his entire career. This program's played for six. Uh, it, it's one of the top 10 programs in the country. Uh, it's been a while for Omaha, though. Uh, you know, you've been to three Super Regionals since Tanner left. Uh, Holbrook lost two. Kingston lost one. You know, that's 10 years as well. So, and then this, this is a program that normally, you know, a lot of years, that Super Regional is probably where they'd end up. You know, so I, I don't know. Those are all questions you have to ask yourself, you know, or, or Tanner's got to ask or whatever. The other thing is the buyout. I – Look, there's all this talk about buyouts. We, we know the board of trustees situation. We know the political angle of it. Uh, I I would be very, very disappointed uh, in leadership at South Carolina if Mark Kingston's buyout prevented them from making a needed change, if they decide a change is what's needed. Uh, as a drop in the bucket for a sport people care about at an SEC program, you know, you start – pinching pennies that way, you may as well just, I mean, you know, there, there's just, and I've been clear about like all this talk about buyouts. I mean, I, I think it's fine to criticize Ray Tanner for the must champ contract, uh, even though it, it didn't impact anything negatively at all. <laughs> they found the money, they spent the money, you know, other than some optics uh, and some, some headlines and some politicians saying whatever, and some board of trustees members not knowing you know, the, the lay of the land in major college sports. Uh, you know, that, that wasn't that costly. Frank Martin's buyout obviously wasn't that costly. Uh, Three million wasn't that bad. 
it was I think five or six the year before. Uh, and Kenny says I think it's a, a little under a million and a half, maybe maybe lower than that. It goes down every day. So, I mean, look, I you know I I'd be I'd be stunned if that was something that uh, prevented a change. And if it is, I'll be very disappointed. And all of you should be too. I mean, you don't let that bit of money stand in your way, you know, when you need to make a change. This is not how major college athletics operates, you know. So all those things have to be factored in when you're talking about Mark Kingston and the future. Um, You know, who knows? Maybe they come and sweep Kentucky. They beat USC Upstate, sweep Kentucky this weekend, uh, win the midweek game the next week. I don't know who the midweek game is the next week, if there is one. I think there is one. Uh, and then away you go to uh, Gainesville, Florida, trying to trying to get in the tournament. Um, maybe they don't sweep Kentucky. Maybe they get swept. Uh, I think if that happened, we'd probably be having a different conversation uh, next week about the future of game cut baseball. Uh, my opinion on this is this. I, I think there needs to be a change, barring a miracle run to the regionals. Uh, you know, like I said, makes the regionals. It's fine. Uh, I've just never really gotten the sense uh, since Mark Kingston's been here that this is the guy to get it back to where it needs to be, uh, other than a nice run at the end of his first year, which was encouraging, and, and everybody everybody can agree with that. That was an encouraging. But that team also had a bunch of you know guys the pros like. You know, like I said, I think eleven draft picks on that team. You know. And they're sitting at 20 and 17 and then had to kind of rally to get get to where they got. You know, talent-wise, that, that team was probably Omaha. If you want to get right down to it. Or maybe not. And, and some of you baseball folks can disagree with me there. I, I don't – like I said, I'm not a baseball expert. I'm, I'm more of a look at the big picture of the program or the standards being met. Uh, you know, tired of really watching – this brand of baseball at times, you know, with the lack of hitting and then when the hitting's on, the pitching's not, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I hate to be that way after a win because, you know, five home runs, five dingers uh, out there in College Station, you know, the kids got up off the mat and won, you know, and then that's probably really tough to do after blowing a 9 nothing lead uh, in your first game of the series uh, and losing in the fashion they did. You know, they hang their head, they came back, they were resilient, and they won. Uh, but uh, we've seen this team do that this year and then revert right back to the struggles. And the bottom line is that they probably just don't have the players to do it. You know, with the pitching injuries and stuff like that, you got a young sort of erratic group hitting the ball, uh, although it is coming on. You know, I mean, it's probably one of those things where this team is very limited. Uh, And they've probably, you know, in terms of some of the wins they've had, probably done about as well as they can. Uh, away from home has been a struggle for whatever reason. Um, but like I said, with, with this type of decision, I don't think you're looking at it uh, if you're Ray Tanner through the prism of one year. Maybe you are. Maybe you are. Maybe you're happy with the, the what, how things went down last year. and This is this year's a drop in the bucket. You, you stick with your guy and, you know, you weigh the assistant coach thing. But uh, – hmm. I just don't know that that would be what I would do. And I think, too, the other factor is this. There's a pocket of people out there, uh, and and you know who you are. And, look, I'm not saying that uh, after the basketball search, I'm not saying that your concerns aren't warranted. 
believe me, there are some red flags during that search as well. And I, I really hope that Lamont Paris does a great job here. Um, nothing to do with him, really. It has more to do with the process and how it went down and all that good stuff. And, uh, you know, the fact that he fired a guy that, you know, had a chance for next year to get back on paper. And, uh, you know, now it's a complete reload, rebuild. Now college basketball kind of the way it is every year at every place, uh, most places, <laughs> but, um, you know, so we'll see sort of what happens there. But for those of you that are worried, you know, Ray Tanner must not be allowed to to do this. Um, well, I don't know who's going to tell Ray Tanner. I mean, who, who, who? Pastides, the new president, uh, who, 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 who's going to get involved and say, are you, and then, then who's going to hire the new baseball coach? That's the question. I, I you know, I'll trust Ray Tanner over a board of trustees member or a new president or anybody like that. Now, do I think there maybe needs some, some guidelines and guardrails? And again, I don't know who establishes this. Uh, yeah. I, I think this baseball search, if it happens, will probably be a lot like the football search that ended up with Shane Beamer because that search was different than the basketball search or the first football search or the baseball search that ended up with Kingston. Uh, that was sort of, hey, there's three guys that you need to look out for for that job. You know, all three interviewed, and they picked one. You know, uh, say what you want about Billy Napier's contract at Florida, which was big. Uh, I think Carolina could have made him a big-time offer and gotten him. Um, Scott Satterfield at Louisville. Uh, and those were the names, you know, that were in the mix for the job. Those are the three names you heard in 2019. Uh, before they were gonna they're gonna make a move, so I think it's, it ends up being much more like that uh, because I think that there's some folks out there in college baseball that would crawl in their belly through glass for this job, uh, and it's not like the basketball job where basketball people look at South Carolina's job as awful, you know, uh, and you and I and everybody else can point out, hey, this is this, this is that. You know, uh, you know, argued with so many people about Xavier being a better basketball job than Carolina. That's a no-brainer for basketball people. You know, <laughs> that's an absolute no-brainer. Xavier versus South Carolina. Um, you know, and, and so basketball folks have a strong negative opinion about the program. Football folks think the job has potential. It's tough, but it's, it's a potentially good job. Uh, the quote I got was, yeah, it's a tough job, but when you win there, it's so rewarding. You know, it's so rewarding uh, to go and, and win at South Carolina. Um, you know, and it, it's it, there's good people; they support it, whatever. Um, and and I think I think that's the case. I, I think that in football, you know, you have so much support, you have such great great facilities. You, you're in the SEC, which is a bonus. Um, the person with the right ideas certainly can win. Uh, at South Carolina. And we're going on 22 years now to where, you know, this isn't the bottom of the barrel program that, you know, Brad Scott handed over to Lou Holtz with the one in 21. Uh, it is not where it was, obviously. Uh, but more years than not, South Carolina has a winning football season in the toughest conference in the country. Um, you know, as a program that had been to what? Nine bowl games all time. Uh, in uh, before 2000, they just got done playing their 24th 
bowl game, winning their 10th. Uh, you know, it's getting better. Uh, and, 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 you know, you, you have guys that get drafted early at South Carolina, guys get drafted overall. You have uh, talent to recruit from. Uh, that kind of thing. So, so the football job, and I'm going to talk about football recruiting here in a second, a little bit. But uh, the football job, the, the baseball job is a Cadillac, you know. And, and it, it, the, the job, and, and some people, uh, fans, uh, obviously, you know, get down on it and confuse job with program with team. You know, your, your team is what it is this year. You know, this year's team, and it's pretty easy to see. They're 23 and 22. Or I'm sorry, 24 and 22. 10 and 14 in the league, struggling to make the NCAA tournament, struggling to make the SEC tournament. That's the team. The program right now under Mark Kingston is, is I would say, inconsistent. You know, good year, bad year, good year, don't know year, good year, bad year, different problems at different times you have to plug. That's the program right now. The job is the overall potential. You know, what, what you know, what, why is South Carolina a baseball job uh, that can, you know, where you can go win national championships? Well, well, that's, that's endless. There's endless amounts of reasons for that. You know, like with a basketball job, sure. They win the, they caught lightning in a bottle and went the final four. But as we've seen, it was very hard to sustain that. (laughs) Uh, You know, I don't think anybody was expecting to go back to the final four. They, They would have taken a couple of trips to the big dance and, called it a day because it's been there's all these massive droughts and you know before the final 14 they hadn't won a tournament game since 74 i mean that that's that's massive you know when you're talking about men's college basketball um but the baseball program the job is one of the best in the country and I, i don't think it's a meandering long uh search with twists and turns like basketball or football or anything like that i think it's one or two phone calls and that's it. And I'd like to see that happen. You know, so if, if you're asking, if people ask me, you know, what does, why is Ray Tanner being allowed, you know, to, to make another hire, assuming he has to make another hire and, and doesn't just stand pat with Kingston. Um, I think number one, who else is going to do it? You know, the, the, you're, you're in a time of great transition at the university, uh, you know, and, you know, I, I don't, some people out there, and I just I can't agree with this at all. I understand your frustration. I can't agree with this at all. That they want to just keep Kingston and then, you know, let a new AD come in and hire. No, 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 no. I mean, that's like I said. I, I don't. I don't think this hire is going to be overly difficult. <laughs> you know, I think there's some no brainers out there that that South Carolina can easily hire if they're willing to pay and you know pony up or whatever. And I hope they are. I think they will be. I, 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 you know, I, you know, you look at kind of some of the guys that people say want the job, and the list is really solid. You know, can't, and I'm not saying you can't screw it up because you know who knows with coaching jobs. Sometimes guys that are no brainers end up being terrible, and sometimes guys that aren't end up being really good. So it's, it's a coaching job, but. Uh, with regards to this particular program, I think what, what needs to have, it needs to go to somebody. We need to all look at it and say, it's in good hands. You know what I'm saying? You know, it's a, it's this guy, you know, this, whoever takes the job, good hands, you know, want to win, has a plan to win, has a track record of winning, 
you know, that kind of thing. Not somebody where you look at the resume and go, well, they've been up and down uh, at certain jobs. You know, like the thing with Kingston was this. It was, it's impressive what he did at Illinois State. That's a difficult baseball job. It's impressive what he did at South Florida. That's not a great baseball job, though it should be. But you, you look at the resume, it was up and down, up and down. Same things happened in South Carolina. You know, so I think when you look at the resume for whoever could be the next baseball coach, it needs to be somebody that's consistently winning. That's that. All right, football recruiting. Uh, you know, talked about going up and down the Atlantic Seaboard. One interesting thing, I was talking to somebody the other day, a couple of sources, to give you some scoop here or, or some – I don't know if it's scoop more so than people's opinion. You know, I, I've talked many times, if you've listened to me at all or read anything I've written for the past 15 years, about the importance of recruiting North Carolina uh, if you're the Gamecocks. And I still think it's important. I mean, look at how many starters from North Carolina the Gamecocks have. Uh, Gerard Green, Mohamed Kaba, I mean, the linebackers. The offensive line has three kids from Charlotte, uh, starting most likely. Um, it's uh, – you know, North Carolina has been good to the Gamecocks to a certain extent. They've gone and gotten, you know, some players from up there. Nick Muse uh, was from North Carolina, just got drafted. Um, but it's not like the Gamecocks are going in there and raiding the talent. One thing somebody told me, and it was interesting the, the other day, was, you know, North Carolina is a unique state to recruit. And he's like, we don't think about it, but. You know, we all kind of think, oh, Mac Brown's at UNC. Uh, that's the powerful thing. But he's like, you also don't think about the fact, you know, NC State, before Brown got back to North Carolina, NC State was sort of building it with in-state talent. They're in the top ten by a lot of accounts. Dave Dorn, going to prove me wrong. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they, they, they're very uh, a very attractive option up there. Uh, and then he, you know, the source I spoke with told me, look, you know, and then you got these other guys that maybe want to go out of state, but they're looking at Notre Dame, Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia, and places like that, like Clemson, you know, the, the best of the best brand-wise teams that have been in the playoffs, all that. And if you think back through history, that that's kind of been the case in that state, Um you know, Spurrier and company had a really good run. That you know, They had Melvin Ingram, Chris Culliver, Wesley Saunders, Travian Robertson, all out of North Carolina. Um, but that was kind of a blip in the radar. The, the, the rest of your North Carolina guys that have been well uh, at South Carolina, have done well at South Carolina, are guys like Pharaoh Cooper, who they found. I mentioned Sherrod Green, uh, Nick Muse, uh, kind of a lot of under-the-radar Jalen Nichols. Um you know, if you, if you kind of look back through who from that state has come to South Carolina and and performed well, and that's uh, that's kind of been how it's been, you know, and, and it's interesting to look at it. I mean, I'll use Jair Alexander as an example. Uh, as far as the, you know, under-the-radar kid from North Carolina, he, uh, he was originally committed to South Carolina. They just kind of let him flip to Louisville after the, the Spurrier comment in 2015. He's in the NFL. So, so it's been more like that uh, with North Carolina prospects than it has been like when Spurrier and, and Long and those guys went up there. And, and, and even at that, Melvin Ingram was not, you know, he was a three-star composite guy 
I think we had him four at Rivals because his film didn't lie, right? But the Gamecocks beat the Tar Heels on him. Tar Heels were in transition, uh, that kind of thing. You know, Culliver was a big win, but he was one of those kids that wanted to go out of state. He, Carolina beat Florida on him, you know. And then we remember how hard it was to beat North Carolina on Wesley Saunders. Um, and so, you know, you, you kind of look at the dynamics up there right now, and and it's tough. It's tough until South Carolina can break through and, and be one of those other teams just by the trends of it. You know, and, and look, maybe maybe I was wrong. And I'm, I'm being I was being unrealistic about South Carolina. I mean, they're the only SEC school in the Carolinas. But, you know, maybe some of these other school teams, you know, players like to go to Tennessee or Georgia or wherever. And so that's tough. That, that, that's a tough deal. Uh, up there right now. Uh, and I don't know after having those conversations with people that, that it's necessarily that you just got to wait for Mac to retire. And then the Gamecocks gonna, are going to have like a, a buffet of players to go select from, you know, because the NC state factor, because of the blue blood factor, all that. So that's yet another reason why I think going into Virginia and the DMV and Pennsylvania and all the way up to Massachusetts and Maine and, you know, I don't know about Maine, but, uh, Picking, picking up the eastern seaboard, I think, is big because, you know, if you're coming to South Carolina and you're hoping, well, we'll sign five guys in state, five from North Carolina, five from Georgia, four from Florida, that's 19, uh, and then cherry pick the rest of the way, you know, that, those numbers from North Carolina obviously are not – they're not hitting, uh, and they're tough to hit. And so maybe that's something I was wrong. Maybe it's naive to think that one school could – you know, sign 60, 70% of the top talent for both Carolinas. Uh, it's one of those things I wrote a while back. Maybe I was wrong. You know, I, uh, I, I do think that just about every coaching staff that's come in here uh, has wanted to recruit up there and, and establish inroads and stuff, and it just hasn't happened. And the same, same thing's true, like, with uh, UNC. Uh, and NC State sort of comes down and gets, like, second-tier guys from the state, but maybe the Gamecocks don't always want, or Clemson certainly doesn't, you know, pursue. Uh, but UNC, you know, think about how difficult, even when they've got it going, it's been over the years for them to come in and get blue chip talent. I mean, you do have Vonnie Holiday as an example. You have uh, Robert Quinn as an example. You have Ryan Sims as an example. Uh, Quinshot Davis was a guy the Gamecocks messed up on, just to be honest. So, you know, when you when you kind of look at it, Brooks Foster, I don't think the Gamecocks went in on him. Uh, trying to think of the Tar Heels that have crossed the border that have been uh, even in question as far as, uh, you know, as far as um, Gamecocks offering or whatever. Uh, so I think that's good. You know, I think that's good. I think on the flip side of it, you know, we always talk about Georgia. And when the Spurrier staff left, I was adamant adamant about the state of Georgia. And I was like, you know, they got to, they got to find a way to shrink that pool of players they're getting from over there because the, the numbers are high and the quality's not. Uh, and you got to be careful in that state because it's highly, highly recruited. Um, you know, you got a state of 11 million people that put just as many draft picks in the NFL as Texas did <laughs> this past year. And that wasn't all from the University of Georgia either. So you got to go get – you can be very good if you go get the right guys. It's kind of like Oklahoma recruiting the state of Texas. You know, you're right next door to this state with all this talent in it. 
you know, Texas, the Texas schools can't sign them all. Oklahoma was very attractive, whatever. If you look at the Gamecocks roster, I mean, Jaheim Bell, uh, Georgia kid, Josh Van, Georgia kid, Juju McDowell, Georgia kid. You know, the list goes on and on. Um, Enig Barre and Harris were drafted uh, by the NFL. Both two of the three draft picks were Georgia kids. Uh, best players in school history, some of them, George Rogers, uh, Connor Shaw, Sterling Sharp, Georgia, all out of Georgia. And, you know, I thought – one of the things the Muschamp staff did a great job of was sort of shrinking that pool and then going after and landing the right guys. Like going and getting a JJ Enigbare is great. Going and getting a Jaheim Bell is great. You know, going and getting a Van is great. You know, right there in that tier that the Gamecocks need to go be signing guys. JC Horn uh, comes to mind. Um, and, and I thought that was outstanding. You know, the previous staff, uh, I thought did okay in North Carolina. We're getting the guys they could get. You know, I thought maybe Florida was an area they could have done a little better in, maybe Alabama, and maybe working up north-south, that kind of thing. But uh, I I did think that the Georgia recruiting turned around. I think that this staff here uh, with Shane Beamer and company, you know, they're right there, you know, as far as continuing that. Uh, and that's a good thing, you know. Like I said, it, it's like, you know, nobody at Oklahoma – is complaining about going and signing Texas kids. And the numbers for Georgia amazingly are right there with Texas. And it's, it's Texas is three times the size population wise of the state of Georgia. So, you know, maybe that's something I, at the time I was wrong about as well is, uh, you know, de-emphasizing Georgia. I think it's much more about getting the right guys uh, out of that state. Cause I, I do know you can go into Atlanta, you can go other places from time to time uh, in that state. And, you know, when you're kind of in that tier two, tier three area, you know, there's a lot of busts. There is a lot of busts. So, you know, we'll see what happens there, but I, I like the fact that this, uh, the Gamecocks under Beamer, they've gotten back into Florida a bit. Um, and you watch some of those Florida kids are going to turn out really well. You had two four-star linebackers from Florida that are visiting this summer that are leans to the Gamecocks. You know, that's good. But then Georgia as well. I think that that state, you know, you look at Dylan Lonergan, you look at uh, Xavier Hardy, you know, some of the other guys, uh, Zach Owens, seems to be very impressed with some other schools right now. But the Gamecocks obviously were the early leaders there. Jalen Kilgore, uh, defensive back from over there, is a a baller. You know, so I I think Georgia, you know – with the North Carolina thing, like it is, you know, you can piece it together with Georgia kids, Florida kids, uh, going West, going North. Um, and then, you know, I've got some mailbag questions about the state of South Carolina. Uh, all right. So speaking of the mailbag, we'll have that right after uh, this word from Tony Pope, State Farm Insurance. Just as your State Farm agent combines good neighbor service with surprisingly great rates, you can combine your home, auto, life, or small business insurance with Tony Pope State Farm Insurance today. And guess what you'll get? That's right, even more good neighbor service with surprisingly great rates. In fact, Tony Pope State Farm is your go-to agent anywhere in South Carolina, North Carolina, or Georgia for the service you deserve at the price you want. So try combining your home, life, auto, and or small business insurance 
difference today. Tony Pope State Farm has been in business for more than 30 years and can handle anything you need in the tri-state area. Once again, Tony Pope State Farm will help you mix and match perfectly. Call 843-851-2222 or visit TonyPope.com today. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, it's time for the iHealth Consulting Mailbag. As I've told you many, many times, Daniel Owens from iHelp Consulting. Uh, if you're a business owner looking to save time and money, iHelp is a Gamecock-owned and operated company whose only mission is to help businesses save money on expenses. Whether you may be paying too much for credit card processing, insurance, internet, or anything else, iHelp can find your business the most savings without sacrificing quality. And if they can't save you any money, you don't pay them a thing. That's right. If I help, can help your business, it's no cost to you. So call or text Daniel, 843-372-5713, or visit ihelpconsulting.com to schedule a free consultation. That number again, 843-372-5713, IHELP Consulting. How can I help you? ihelpconsulting.com uh, is that email address, and we certainly appreciate Daniel uh, sponsoring the mailbag. My apologies, uh, for the two ads back to back, I normally don't like to do that, but uh, I did it this time. Uh, all right, there's two ways to get into the uh, IL Consulting mailbag, and the first is to tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. That's the uh, that's the podcast uh, Twitter account. So follow that at the Big Spur Pod. Follow uh, at Inside the Gamecocks on Instagram. And also follow, uh, like the inside the Gamecocks Facebook page. Uh, we got that up now, uh, that up and running. So, uh, go ahead and do all that, but you can, you know, tweet to us and there's no Twitter messages today. So you guys on Twitter need to step it up, but I know it's kind of a quick turnaround, uh, with an episode, but this is, this is we're going to start ranching, you know, ratcheting it up a little bit in terms of more frequent episodes, uh, Maybe a daily, who knows? Da, 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 da. Uh, so you can do that. Then you can also email inside the gamecocks at gmail.com. And those folks have, uh, have um, gotten it. Uh, Tristan, have you heard anything about the running back from Silver Bluff? I've seen on Twitter where he's got offers from Arkansas and Georgia, I believe. I think Arkansas is the one. I don't, I don't know about that Georgia offer. Uh, you raised my brows when you f- spoke about the future running back recruits on Saturday's episode. Hate to see another local guy uh, sneak out. Yeah, you know, what, who's that? what's his name? Trayvon Dunbar. Um, you know, I've heard nothing but great things about the guy. Um, I, uh, as far as Carolina goes, I mean, he's visited. Um. <sighs> I don't know. You know, I, I need to, I think we all, Hale and I both need to ask because he, he seems to be a guy that's really, really good, you know, um, and, and seems to be a guy that a lot of people think is a stud. And, you know, you look at the offers, Ole Miss is in there as far as an offer goes, Michigan State, Louisville, Arkansas. Um, I don't know. You know, that's my question as far as uh, Dunbar goes. Uh, and I would hate to see that happen. Uh, you know, maybe it's, is it size? I don't know. Um, but I, I need to get uh, – before I say anything more about this kid, 
I probably need to get uh, get some accurate information on him. I know he's visited. I know he's kind of on the list, but uh, I haven't seen you know the offer uh, come through or anything like that. So you know we'll sort of see kind of how everything everything plays out there. So and, and I'm with you. You know I'd hate to see you know a player slip away, but you know the coaching staff in state. You know, you live and die by those decisions, the in-state decisions you make. And if, if they don't think he's good enough, then you don't need to offer. Simple as that. Mark emails in, inside the gamecocks at gmail.com. By the way, he says, JC, other than Spencer Rattler, what's another player that must take his game to another level uh, in order to for the offense to meet or exceed expectations in 2022? Uh, another level, that would be the entire offensive line and the running backs, particularly Marshawn Lloyd at running back, uh, needs to get to another level. Um, you know, you said, Mark says, my guess would be Jaheim Bell used on run screens, play action, getting the ball 10 times a game somehow. Yeah, and, and but that, to me, that's that may be different as far as taking his game. I think Jaheim Bell's game is already at a good level. Uh, I think this is more getting the ball, you know, and, and as far as that category goes, Jaheim would be there. Juice Wells would be there. Amarian Brown on deep throws. Austin Stogner needs the ball. Juju McDowell needs the ball. Christian Bill Smith and Marshawn Lloyd need the ball. Rattler needs the ball. I mean, there's a lot of guys that are options. Josh Van, you know, uh, in this offense that, that need the ball. And so it's going to be interesting to see kind of, how they do it and if you know if they get these guys the ball i mean you know juju mcdowell is a guy that every time he touches it he does something well so you know saw him in the spring game six carries 57 yards five for 52 against north carolina in the bowl including a big long touchdown run i mean that that's a guy that can take it to the house so can gene bell so can juice wells you know very curious to see, you know, how uh, the, I guess, touches get to get divvied up uh, this year uh, in the offense. But, yeah, you get Jaheim 10, 10 touches a game, I'd be thrilled. Um, I just think the guy's that good and can do that many different things for you. So, uh, that's, uh, that's those are good thoughts. But, you know, as far as stepping up, though, like, in other words, a guy that, needs to be better this year than he was last. I'd, I'd say all, everybody on the O-line and then uh, the running backs uh, should be that guy. So Mitchell comes in. He's like, I uh, hope all is well. I saw where you have mentioned in the past couple of episodes where South Carolina hasn't been producing enough blue chip recruits. Since I've lived in South Carolina for a long time now, and I've seen numerous high school programs and players across the state. I wanted to share my thoughts on why the state isn't producing enough blue chip recruits compared to nearby states. My honest opinion is that the South Carolina High School League needs to adjust its rules in regards to off-season workouts, similar to how other states' high schools run theirs. Uh, I talked to multiple players from my high school's varsity team about this, and they state there are certain times throughout the off-season they can't work out. Really? Hmm. Out of respect and privacy, I won't mention where I graduated from, but it was a 5A school that had a decent football program with kids getting scholarships to college programs each year. 
However, knowing the SEHSL rules in regards to offseason workouts, I honestly believe my high school would have been a whole lot better at football and kids would have been given more opportunities if it wasn't the case. Yeah, that's kind of what I've heard. I need to look up the rule uh, and compare it to other states. But if they're hamstring, I mean, you know, it, if they're hamstringing their players like that, that's BS, you know, in my opinion. I mean, what, what good does it do? Uh, if you're preventing players from developing and potentially getting scholarships and uh, everything that comes with scholarships these days. By the way, I did want to mention this during the recruiting. I'll talk more about this this week. I don't want to talk about NIL all the time. Uh, but I'm going to say this about recruiting, and I'm probably writing a column about it. Forget everything you know, folks. Forget everything you know. Uh, that was another conversation I had about recruiting over the weekend. Um, I, I it, Until they do something to stop some of the recruiting enticements, uh, you probably will be better off just saying, ah, if you, you know, if the game guys get somebody, that's good. Um, because undoubtedly the, there'll be a player that goes somewhere else. And undoubtedly as, as, as happens in every fan base, the, the coaches are going to get blamed. Right. Uh, and I'll, and I'll say this, there's a lot of guys out there. It's been taken out of the coach's hands and they're out of the recruiter's hands, period. So forget everything, you know, that, that you know right now about following and, and, and recruiting and all that. And we'll talk more about that later. Uh, I won't mention his name or what position he played, but I do remember one instance. There was a kid at my high school who was a star player on defense and received a lot of recognitions from newspapers and media and, and et cetera, and got attention from a few SEC schools. It was kind of like the Bruce Smith, Luke Kelchi, Richard Sherman type star on this team. Shockingly, despite his strong statistics, he only got a few Division One offers and ended up walking on at a Power Five school. I don't know if he ever got a scholarship, but my honest opinion is that the South Carolina High School League wasn't strict with off-season workouts. He would have been a ranked player by 24-7 sports in-state. I think eventually you'll see the rules adjust. I do believe South Carolina will produce around 10 blue-chip prospects a year, especially with the population growth in Charlotte Metro and Greenville. In terms of right now, you do feel bad some of these kids are trying to get to the next level and impacted by the rules like this. Your thoughts, thanks, Mitchell. Uh, yeah, look, if that's the case, that's BS. I I really have zero tolerance for anybody that makes decisions on the high school level that's restrictive uh, in nature in terms of opportunity. I remember the Georgia High School Association, when I was at Rivals back in the mid-2000s, they, they wouldn't even, like, let us come to the games. You know, no recruiting, no this, no that. And I'm like, dude, you're <laughs> – you know, there's probably 30 Division One prospects on the field and then 30 more that could be with exposure. Um, one of the worst things the NCAA ever did for prospects in, in, in North and South Carolina, and they hadn't had one of these in a while, is, is, not, is disallow college coaches from coming to the Triangle every single year, folks, because it's live and it's good on good. Man, you see everybody out there, every head coach, uh, assistant coaches, watching Shrine Bowl practice, and it wasn't just a, hey, show up and look at me and my name on the jersey. They were actually evaluating these guys. And there'd be three or four guys that at Shrine Bowl, you know, on both sides that would get offers. I remember Dakota Watson uh, went to Florida State, had no offers coming in, and after Shrine Bowl, he had five. <laughs> Ended up going to FSU and, and being pretty good. 
he's out of the Aiken area. I mean, there's a linebacker named Cedric Griffin from Fairfield Central. I remember uh, a really good player, uh, good good forty time. He's a little short at linebacker. Ended up, you know, Georgia Tech came and found him uh, at Shrine Bowl, and he got a scholarship and played. Um, remember uh, DJ Moore? Was it? Uh, from Vanderbilt that was from Broome High School. He uh, he got that offer uh, from Vandy at Shrine Bowl. I think, or maybe it was that he already had committed, but other schools started looking at him and coming in. And that was one the Gamecocks should have gone on uh, out of Broome. Um, you know, that, that kid out of Broome that got drafted out of App State. You know, I mean, and look, schools like App State and Coastal and the FCSs around here, they're probably happy that <laughs> there's not this massive amount of coaching, uh, coaching coaches that see Shrine Bowl practice. And, and again, that event hadn't been on in a couple of years because of COVID, but uh, they're probably happy about that because they end up getting really good players. But it's yet another evaluation point. And, and the rule that prevented the coaches from going to all-star game practice and stuff was actually a basketball. Rule. I mean, and they just passed it with whatever. So, Hopefully, with all these changes the NCAA is making, that'll change. Uh, because I think that's something, too. Because, you know, there's a big difference between evaluating a kid when he's playing for his high school team and maybe the other team's not that good. You know, that, that, that's a very – I mean, you know, you're not necessarily seeing good on good. Uh, and at Shrine Bowl, yeah, it's not like a national all-star, all-star game, but you're seeing good on good. Some of the better from the Carolinas go against each other. And, and it never made sense to me that you keep coaches from coming and seeing it. I mean, I, you know, I, I would think that having coaches there would take out the middleman a little bit, all that, but I guess not. But, uh, yeah, I, I've heard whispers, Mitchell, about the offseason stuff with the South Carolina High School League. I don't necessarily understand it, and I will – I'll dig into what exactly the rules are compared to other states. But, like, if they're limiting spring practice, that's BS. If they're limiting uh, weight room workouts, that's BS. If they're limiting voluntary Pascal seven-on-seven, seven, that's BS. There's no reason to do that. The, the reason that probably happened is – you know, some school was was working out all year round, like maybe a Burns or something, and uh, people were mad. And, oh, uh, you know, because they didn't want to get out there and do it. And so then you have the rule, and that's that's usually how these rules come about. It's not your successful programs that make it; it's people that are jealous of success. You know, why do you think there's all these Nick Saban rules out there in in, in recruiting? Because other head coaches didn't want to go on the road in the spring. And then they, they felt like they would have to because Nick Saban was at all these schools. Oh, we're going to make the Nick Saban rule. All right, whatever. Now head coaches can't go out in the spring, and that makes no sense at all. You know, so all these rules that these governing bodies come up with for football, and, it, and it's amazing, they can't come up with anything for NIL right now. And if they do, it's probably going to be toothless because they just let that kind of you – know, on the college level, they just kind of let that go, Right. Uh, and on the high school level, you know, I, I I think the South Carolina High School League's job in, in all things is to do what's best for the state of South Carolina. And you can't tell me that having football players out of a state that's 200,000 people bigger than the state of Alabama going and signing college scholarships and, and getting and going and playing college ball uh, in big numbers isn't good for the state of South Carolina, you know? And then the Shrine Bowl things. So it's really, I think, you know, and like I said, I need to dig in 
to the high school league rules. Maybe somebody can send it to me, maybe in more detail. Thank you, Mitchell, for, you know, let me know. Um, like I said, I don't want to get too much into it without having the facts in front of me. But if that's the case, that's sad. It's really sad, you know, and uh, it doesn't help anyone, you know, I think, by the way. <laughs> and the numbers have dwindled. I mean, it, it's crazy. And, and, and it's, it's crazy in a sense, too, guys, that if you, you know, sometimes at the end you'll have teams come and pick up guys out of South Carolina and they end up going to be pretty good. So that, that shows me there's still some hidden talent. It's just, you know, if you're not developing them. And, and, and look, just about everybody in the state last year, South Carolina signed, they're developmental guys. You know, they're not guys that necessarily – and there's always there's always surprises, but that necessarily can come in and play right away, you know. And and I think, you know, up at Clemson, the two receivers they got probably are the offensive lineman's not. I don't know about the DB for Malden, you know. And that was a pretty deep year, so we'll see what happens. All right, that's all the time we have on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast on Monday, May the ninth. Please stay tuned to thebigspur.com. Uh, be sure to stay tuned to this podcast uh, for all the wonderful things that will happen this week. Uh, And I'll be back with you really, really soon. Thanks to all the sponsors, and we'll holla at you later.